Well, hey, my name's Adam. If this is your first time here, uh, really honored that you chose to spend part of your Thanksgiving weekend with us here, especially if you're still nursing a turkey hangover. It's good. Just the trip to Fen still going through the system. If you're watching online, same thing for you. Uh, happy you're here. Um, hey, before we jump in, I got something really exciting to share with you. Um, specifically, if, if you call Mosaic home, uh, this, this is a little different. So um, you probably already know, hopefully you already know that Mosaic is called to make like an impact in Wandsworth. We're called to build God's kingdom here in, in this city specifically. It's where God placed us. He placed us almost in the dead center of the city, right? You throw a dart at Wandsworth, you, you're going to hit us because we're right in the middle, right? Uh, our purpose is to bring the message of Jesus, the love of Jesus to this city, to be a church for people who don't think church is for them in this city. But while local is our focus, it is not our limit, okay? So uh, I wanna share the last thing that Jesus said on earth before he ascended to heaven. He had one, one big sentence that he said, right? But this is the last thing and it's really important. He said it in Acts chapter one, verse eight but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So this is a really kind of important way Jesus said this. He said Jerusalem, that was their home city. That was kind of ground zero. Uh, and then uh, Judea and Samaria were the surrounding areas and then the ends of the earth, obviously everything beyond that. Kind of think pebble dropped in the water and ripples rippling out from there. That's what Jesus just described. Hey, uh, tell people about me where you're at. Tell people about me a little further out from there and just keep going. Just keep going. So it's kind of three layers to that. And I believe that Mosaic's called to make an impact on all three of those. Jerusalem would be Wadsworth for us. Judea and Samaria would be the surrounding cities and areas around Wadsworth. And then ends of the earth would be the ends of the earth. So uh, let's take it in reverse. Let's talk about the ends of the earth first because I'm really excited about this one. Uh, I'm uh, announcing today we have a partnership with a church plant in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Brazil, separate hemisphere. And listen, yeah, I know, right? Listen to this. The name of the church, the name of the church we are partnering with is Mosaico. Mosaic with an O at the end. I think some of you think that's how Spanish works. It's not, but that's what it's called. And <laughs> it's not Spanish, it's por Portuguese in Brazil. Uh, but no joke, this church is called Mosaico. Uh, and one of the reasons I uh, even know it exists is because our youth pastor Scott is friends with the guy planting the church. His name is Samuel. And I just want to let you have an opportunity to hear from Samuel. We have a little video of him speaking here. He says Mosaico better than I do. Uh, so check out this short video. Hey, Mosaic Wadsworth. I'm Samuel de Lima from Mosaico, Sao Paulo. And I want to thank you very much for your generosity, companionship, and friendship in planting the church here in Sao Paulo. Sao Paulo is a city of more than 12 million people, and we're planting downtown Sao Paulo in Pinheiros, a city of a lot of creatives, a neighborhood where a lot of creatives, innovative people, very young people as well. Uh, very exciting neighborhood, but also very secularized, so they need the gospel, and our goal is to reach this neighborhood. We just finished phase one. 
We have now 20 people. Most of them never attended the church before, are still preparing to be baptized, but they are already part of the creating team, the imaginating team of what Mosaico is going to be like. So we ask you to continue supporting us, partnering with us, also pray for us as we reach this neighborhood with the gospel, and through this neighborhood, we can impact this whole city and this whole great nation of Brazil. God bless you, and I hope to see you soon. So I got the opportunity to have dinner with him a couple months ago, and uh, two reasons I'm, I'm excited about this church plan. One is him, uh, man. He, he loves Jesus. He loves people. He's got uh, such a similar heart to, to us here uh, in, in Wadsworth. Uh, and again, the name is just hard to get past. Second thing I love is their mission. Their mission is to reach these entrepreneurs, these creatives, uh, these, you know, people who don't think church is for them in Sao Paulo, Brazil. So I just look at this, this is just, this is just Mosaic South, man. Like we're, we're just way south, but this is what we're doing here. So I'm really excited uh, to partner with him in that. Again, it's a perfect, uh, similar kindred spirit with him. Uh, now, if you, if you zoom in a little bit to the surrounding cities, we're going to partner with something called the Outreach House in Akron. I don't know if you've heard of that before. Uh, it's, a, it's a ministry that, that just feeds people, man. They, they take food and they distribute it, they distribute it, they distribute it. Um, 20, since 2020, they distributed over 200,000 pounds of food. I don't even know what that means, right? Like it's just crates of food that they're just giving out to people. Uh, they feel 23,000 warm meals, personal care for over 2,000 individuals. They've just taken, you know, when Jesus said, I don't know if you're not familiar with this, Jesus said, whatever you did for one of the least of my brothers of mine, you did it for me. You ever hear him say that? So that's a big thing, right? Hey, the, whatever, whoever you do, you know, this for the least of these, you're doing it for me. This, this place takes that serious. Uh, so we're going to partner with them as well. And then if you zoom into Wadsworth, I don't know if you know what's been going on in this church just this past couple of months, but man, I really feel like God's been moving. God's been moving um, with one, the baptism has been used like every week. Have you guys noticed that? That's pretty cool, right? Like that's an amazing thing to see people doing that. Yeah, you should clap for that. Um, and I know typically pastors are the only ones that get really excited about a full room. Everybody else is a little annoyed with it, but we have had a lot of people coming to church too. A lot of people who maybe have never been to church before in their life. So we're, we're, what we're experiencing legitimately, um, they would consider it like supernatural growth. If you, if you know anything about church, Church isn't doing well in our country right now, and our church is growing like crazy. So it is just so amazing to see the way God has moved here as well. So what I'm trying to get you to see is, hey, God's moving out in the world. God's moving in the surrounding areas, and God's moving here. And we want to be a part of what he's doing. So uh, we're going to do something here at the end of this year that we've never done before. Never done this before as a church, but we are going to take uh, what's called a year-end offering from now until the end of the year. We're calling it the Witness 1-8 year-end offering, witness uh, being the word Jesus used, and then 1-8 being that verse in Acts that talks about Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the surrounding, or, and, and the ends of the earth. Uh, so here's our goal. You ready? It's ambitious. Um, we would like to raise $50,000 by the end of the year with this offering. Now, here's, here's why. What if we raised enough money for Mosaico or however you say it, <laughs> to just like pay for the rent in their building for just the whole year, 
for them not to have to think about it, not to worry about it. Like, hey, we're going to take care of the location because we know how important that is to be able to be in the center of the city and be where things are happening. So we're going to take that as a church. We say, hey, we're going to pay for that so that Samuel can be freed up to share the gospel and to build a church and not have to worry about a rent payment coming every month. What if we could just do that? What if we paid for, for thousands of pounds of food that would go to thousands of people over in Akron that's just thankless. Like, hey, we don't, we don't need anything for that. We don't want anything for that. We're just going to send it to there and give a cold cup of water to people who need it and, and, and trust that when Jesus said, you do this for the least of these, you do this for me, and we're going to do that for him. And what if we could see Mosaic Wadsworth continue to do this thing and, and, and continue to see God move? We could make a huge impact in a short amount of time. So what I'm asking and not if you're a first-time guest, just plug your ears. What I'm asking is for you to pray about this, uh, how, you, how God wants you to be a part of this. Um, maybe, maybe you've never given before, and this is an opportunity for you uh, to, to jump in. This is a great, a great place to start. Maybe God's been really good to you this year, and uh, he's starting to nudge you to give back. Or maybe God's just calling you to kind of expand your capacity as a giver, and this would be a great opportunity for that. Here's the thing, <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not dogging on anybody else, but I know if you've been to church for a while, it's like, hey, we're going to put a Christmas tree up out there, and we're going to buy presents for a family somewhere, and it's a warm, fuzzy thing, and everybody gets on board for that, and that's cool, but man, we're, you guys know this. If you come here, you know that we're different, right? We don't do things at all ever the same as everybody else, so I thought, hey, if we're going to do a Christmas thing, if we're going to do a year-end offering, presents are cool, but what if we like shared the gospel in another hemisphere? And what if, we, what if we enabled a church, like freed up a church to just get after it and share Jesus with their city? What if we just, what if we just fed people, people who we may never meet, people we'll never like get anything from, we just, we just fed them. What if, what if we poured into, sowed into what God is doing here? What if we just did that? And for me, I don't know, again, this is for, this is, I, I get way more fired up about that. So, so pray about that, think about that. Uh, there's some opportunity and you know, in all the details, there's the QR code. You can, you can do all that stuff. It'll be on our website and all that. Um, but I really want you to pray about this. I want, here's the thing, the, <laughs> the present thing, you can do that. You don't need a church to do that. You don't. I bet you, you know, of somebody who needs something, you know, or if not, Facebook will tell you that there's somebody who needs something. You don't need that. But to do this, we got to do it together. And that's why I like this, because it's big enough for us to say, hey, we have to come together to do this. We need uh, to see God move in that. So pray with me. God, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for Samuel in Brazil uh, to find somebody who has a, the same heart as us in a completely <laughs> separate half of the world, Lord. Same name, same heart, Lord. Um, I pray that uh, we would see it, Lord, together, this church, anybody who calls Mosaic home, that we would see that. We would see that we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. I pray that we would um, be drawn to that mission, Lord. I pray for the outreach house and then handing out food and just being your hands and your feet over there in Akron. Lord, I pray for what you're doing here. That we wouldn't mess it up. I pray for you to inspire us to generosity here, to go towards something together that we could not do apart. Um, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right.
this is your first time here, you're like, wow, he asked for money already, so check one off my nightmare list. Is he going to ask me to say hi to my neighbor next? We don't do that here. We actually don't normally talk about money much either, but um, welcome to Mosaic. All right, hey, so uh, transition now. I want to I wanna share something. So uh, we're closing out our Failing Forward series. So we talk about failure here for the past month. Super encouraging messages, I'm sure. Um, and I had this plan. I came up with this sermon series months ago. I was excited about it. I'm like, oh, it fits perfect. It's a little four-weeker. It's great. It fits into a month. I was excited. I had every week mapped out. And I was like, I'm ready to go. I just put it away, you know on my desktop with all my other stuff on my computer. And I was like, here, I'll hit it. And then we, I opened it up when it started and I had this plan and I hit the week one, I hit the week two. And then, man, I just felt like God just kind of nudged me going, those last two, that's not what it is, man. And, and he shook me up. And last week I, I preached, I wasn't planning on preaching that. And then I didn't, guys, I never show up to Monday morning not knowing what I'm going to say. Well, now it's not even Sunday, it's Thursday. That's a short week for me. But I just felt like God kind of stirring me up and, uh, I see why now. So I want to say, man, God's really laid this on my heart today to share this with you about failure in your life. Uh, so I'm going to start with a verse, a quote from the wisest man to ever live. And I don't know if you know who that is, but in the Bible, um, I mean, most people believe that it was a guy named Solomon who, who was king of Israel thousands of years ago. He wrote a good portion of this book called Proverbs in the Bible, which is, and it's, it's just these little pithy two-line sayings that just contain so much wisdom, his ability to pack so much wisdom into such a short little pithy sayings is crazy. Uh, so he's, he's a genius. And I want to share one of the things he said uh, here to start. Proverbs 24, 16, he said, for a righteous person falls seven times and rises again. Now, most of the time you focus on the second part of that verse, but can I just back up for a minute and say that it's surprising, the beginning part where he says <laughs> that a righteous person is fallen all the time, a righteous person is failing all the time. Isn't that weird? Isn't that kind of surprising? Because I think a lot of Christians kind of have this mentality, if I'm righteous, if I'm doing the things I'm supposed to be doing, I won't experience as much failure, right? But here's Solomon saying, no, a righteous person is going to fall sometimes. By the way, if you know the Bible at all, you know that the number seven is not just a number. That's like a symbolic thing. It's kind of the number of like completion, the number of perfection, the number of fullness. So what he's kind of saying is a righteous person falls all of the times, <laughs> all of them. Anybody have that in your life? Like, yeah, I fall, I just fall, I fail all of the times, as many times as it's possible. That's what I'm experiencing. And that's what Solomon is saying here. The righteous people, man, they're gonna, all of the times that they fail, and again, and again, and again, and again, but they will rise again, and again, and again. As many times as they fall, they're going to rise. A righteous person isn't going to stay down. So Solomon's observation here is, uh, if, if I can reword it, is the difference between a good person and a bad person is not the amount of times they fall, it's the amount of times they get up. Now, this is actually kind of a popular thing. There's a lot of people who have, uh, I want to say, copied Solomon and said their own version of this. Winston Churchill uh, said that success consists of going from failure to failure without the loss of enthusiasm. I like that, <laughs> coming from him especially. 
Vince Lombardi, even though I just want you guys to know I'm not a football fan anymore after yesterday, but Vince Lombardi, <laughs> whatever, Michigan fans. Um, Vince Lombardi said, it's not whether you get knocked down, it's whether you get back up. Classic football coach saying, Zig Ziglar, motivational speaker said, you don't drown by falling into water, you only drown if you stay there. I thought that was pretty good. And then there's a Japanese proverb, I don't know if you've ever heard this one before, fall down seven times, stand up eight. Now, it's like, oh yeah, that's cool. But then if you think about it for longer than two seconds, you're like, wait a minute, how do you get up eight times if you've only fallen down seven times? I don't understand the math on that. How do I get up twice when I've only fallen down? Maybe you started on the ground. I don't know. Uh, it's just interesting. But again, I just want to say they all copied off Solomon. He's the one who kind of started this thing. And, and, but we're all agreeing that it's not, the key is not, not falling. The key is getting back up, right? Wouldn't I think almost anybody, you don't have to be a Christian to say, yeah, that's true. You're going to fail. You're going to fall. The big important thing is to get back up. And there's a term for this. I don't know if you've ever heard this term, the term grit. You ever heard that grit? Uh, the, the definition of grit is a trait possessed by individuals who demonstrate a passion and perseverance toward a goal despite being confronted by significant obstacles and distractions. Or you could say grit, getting back up every time you get knocked down. That's grit. So Solomon, though, is saying something slightly different than that. He definitely wants us to have grit, but he's actually making an observation here. Solomon is saying that people who have a relationship with God are supposed to have grit. Did you catch that? He's like kind of saying, hey, the righteous people, they just keep getting up. The people who have a relationship with God, they don't stay down. That's what he said, right? This is an observation. Solomon's saying, hey, people who have a relationship with God, they bounce. <laughs> they, don't, they don't stay down. They, they're, 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 they're made of rubber. They, they just come right, they just bounce right back up. So it kind of leads me to, a, you know, there's, there's some questions about that because he's saying there's something about a relationship with God that enables us to keep getting up that somebody who maybe doesn't have a relationship with God doesn't have access to. That, that we have something, if, if, if you're a Christian, if you have a relationship with God, we, we have something that maybe somebody who doesn't have that relationship doesn't have, enables us to get knocked down all of the times and get up all of the times. Now this is vitally important, right? Because I don't know about you, but if I get knocked down the first time, I can bounce back. But my emotional state getting knocked down the first time is very different than my emotional state after getting knocked down the seventh time, right? You're on the ground again and again and again it gets progressively harder to continue to get back up. So it's not about being able to do this once or twice, it's about being able to do this every single time, every single day for the rest of your life. Without staying down. <laughs> so what is it? That's the question today. What is it about the person who has a relationship with God that gives them grit, that someone who doesn't have a relationship with God maybe doesn't have? What is it about this person who has a relationship with God who, with, that enables them to be able to get back up every single time they're knocked down, that the person who, who doesn't have a relationship with God, they, they don't have that? What is Solomon talking about here? So we're going to look for the answer uh, in the life of a guy named Paul today. Uh, Paul's pretty famous in the Bible. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you probably heard of this guy. 
Um, now, his story in the Bible is an interesting one. The Bible actually doesn't start with Paul being a Christian. Uh, far from it. Paul, uh, we, we are introduced to Paul in the Bible uh, when he's hunting Christians. He's hunting Christians. He despised Christianity. He despised Christians. He despised Christ. Uh, he didn't get it. He didn't like it. He was hell-bent on destroying it. And uh, I just want you to know that that's a place where you can start on your spiritual journey. This is not important. I don't know if somebody needs this, but like, I think sometimes people think that the only people who come to faith are people who like grew up with a new Christian home and had that. But man, Paul's story tells us that you can start from anywhere. You can start from anywhere. You can start off not getting it, not understanding, it, maybe really kind of despising it, and you can, you can have a transformation happen. Now, here's how Paul's happened. Paul had heard about Jesus But what changed him wasn't hearing about Jesus. What changed Paul was meeting Jesus, having an encounter with Jesus. And there's a difference between that, between hearing about him and having an encounter with him. Now, I know that I'm not not talking about some physical person that's going to stand up in front of you and have holes in his hands and holes in his feet. I'm not talking about that. But we believe in in a spiritual world where maybe you've spent your whole life hearing about this guy, but you've never actually met him. And we actually pray for every, every weekend we have services here that, that the people who walk in here would not just hear about Jesus, but that you would have an encounter with him, a real life. Your soul has some kind of an awakening to the presence of Jesus in your life because that's the thing that will change you. That's the thing that will change you, an encounter with him, not just hearing about him like he's out there, but really meeting him. And for Paul, that changed everything. So Paul becomes a Christian. He starts following Jesus. He goes from hunting Christians (laughs) to to missionary. Like he just did a full 180. Um, And he's destined to become one of the most important figures in Christianity. I don't know if you know that. Um, Missionary to most of the known world. Most of us could trace our spiritual ancestry probably back to something that Paul did. Wrote like half of the New Testament Uh, arguably the most influential figure inside of Christianity. So Paul follows Jesus, right? This is one who established this. Wherever Jesus walks, Paul's Paul's like on Jesus' heels. Paul's giving Jesus flat tires. He's following Jesus so close. He's just never going to get off pace with Jesus. He's right there all the time, right on Jesus' heels, following Jesus. And Paul like took it real serious. Like (laughs) you ever... um, if you play basketball before you ever watch basketball, um, you know how some guys, like there's always a guy on the team who made the team because he hustles. You know that guy? That guy who like he never plays ever. But like in practice, he's the guy who jumps for a loose ball even if it's like 20 feet away from him. He's jumping for a loose ball. He's elbowing people to box him out. He's really kind of annoying actually because he plays like aggressive defense and he's in your face all the time. He's breathing and sweating and he burns more calories on the bench than the people playing in the game. That guy, Paul's that but he's good, right? Like Paul, Paul has that kind of hustle, but like unlike the guy on the bench who can't even make a layup, but he hustles. Paul is good at what he does. He is, uh, God has blessed him with all kinds of gifts and he just never, never lets up, never lets up. He's about as good of a Christian as you can be. But for those of you who know his story, do you Did he fail? Now, I've been nebulous here. This whole series, did you notice I haven't like defined failure really? I've left it open. And sometimes it's defined as sin, right? So we do something that God didn't want us to do. You know, when Adam and Eve did the thing, that's, that's a failure. It's also a sin. But sometimes when you fail, it's not like a sin thing, you know? 
You get in a car accident, you didn't sin, unless you're on your phone, stop it, right? <laughs> it's careless. But it's not like a sin, it's just you just messed up, right? But there's all different kinds of failure, right? And maybe it's not even a failure that like you, you did, right? Sometimes just something can fail you and you experience it, right? You're experiencing failure. Some of you like your body's failing you and like you didn't do anything. It just is happening. You're experiencing failure. And I think Paul has all of these in his life, even though he followed Jesus closer than almost anybody who's ever lived. And he actually gives like a resume of, 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 what you could call failure or hardship in his life, um, his fall down seven times resume here. And I want to read it to you because uh, he, just, he just gives us this crazy list. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, he starts in verse 24 and he just, start, he just keeps going. So here's what he tells us. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. He was whipped. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers, from robbers. Uh, I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. He's not done yet. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. That's a, that's a rough list. That's a rough list. <laughs> Can I just say, and I'm not trying to like insult anybody, but like, I think if one of those things happened to most of us in this room, that would be like the thing. That would be the worst thing that ever happened to you. Just one, right? Like, and you'd never stop talking about it, right? Like if you got in a shipwreck, you'd be telling everybody about it. Hey, one time I got in a shipwreck. You'd like, that would be your Christmas story. That would be your Thanksgiving story. That would be your story. Every time you met somebody new, you'd be trying to drop that in. Like, hey, this one time I was Gilligan. Like this happened. Like, right, you, you'd be telling that. It'd be the thing. But just one of those would be the story. But for Paul, he's got this whole crazy list. And the miraculous part for Paul is not that he survived all that, and that is miraculous. The miraculous part, as I read this list, is that Paul never gives up. He never gives up. Because I promise you, if I ever got in a shipwreck, that would be the last ship I ever got on, right? Like, can you imagine like, going on a cruise and it going down? And you're like rowing away on a rowboat, you know? And somebody like, so what are you gonna do next summer? Um, not a cruise, right? <laughs> Ever again. Also not fishing in a lake. Like I'm never doing that from the shore. Fine. But like never again, right? But Paul's like, oh, this boat went down. How about the next one? Oh, and the next one. He just keeps going. Not because of the boat itself, but because of where he felt he was called to go. Also imagine this. Imagine you go on like a short-term missions trip. You know, those things that we do sometimes. You go off somewhere and you help somebody do something off in a foreign country. Can you imagine going somewhere and like sharing Jesus and having somebody grab you and whip you 39 times with a whip? Would you go back? <laughs> You're like, no, all of a sudden I'm called to suburban America. Every time God has called me now to Wadsworth, Ohio forever, right? You, you wouldn't, you, you wouldn't, Paul, it happened five times and never did he think I did something wrong here. He just kept going. And when whips didn't work, they upgraded to sticks. And when sticks didn't work, they upgraded to stones. He just kept getting, I want to say he kept 
failing. Not that he was failing, but he kept experiencing what would be most of us would consider failure. It's not a good day if you go home and you've gotten whipped 39 times or you've gotten stoned or you had a shipwreck. He just, he just never quits. So how did this not, how did this not wear him down? How did this not eventually discourage him? How did he not just get tired? You know, I don't know, third time getting whipped 39 times. I'm tired, Lord. <laughs> I, second shipwreck, Lord, this is exhausting, right? Shaking sand out of my ears. Like, this is exhausting, Lord. How did he not get to the point where either he, he like actively quit, like I'm not doing this anymore, or like almost passively, like he, he quiet quit, like, Lord, I just don't really want to hustle anymore, you know? How did he not do that? How did Paul go from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm? In the words of Winston Churchill. How did Paul fail all of the times and get up all of the times and seemingly get stronger as he went? So he actually answers this question. It's great. We get to hear his thoughts on this. Um, it's in the same letter. It actually comes before the part we just read. It's back in chapter 4. Um, but he talks about this. And verse 16 is where it starts. Right out the gate, this is important. So we do not lose heart. We don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. What a beginning to that verse. Paul here is saying, we don't lose heart. In light of his list of things that he endured, that right there is an impressive sentence to say. The fact that he is still playing the role of encourager and not needing someone to be his encourager at this point is wild. We don't lose heart. The Greek word for lose heart there is be utterly spiritless, to be wearied out, to be exhausted, to be done. He's like, nah. We, who's he talking about? We don't do that. Who's we? We who follow Jesus. We don't go there. Now, he's not saying you don't get discouraged. He's not saying you don't get down. He's not saying there's not, there's not seasons or times where you, where you go to a dark place. But he's saying we don't quit, though. You don't, you, don't, you don't stay there. No, people who follow Jesus, we don't do that. Okay, Paul. And then he kind of describes it. He says, well, here's what happens. Your outer self is wasting away, but your inner self is being renewed day by day. So something happens on the inside, even though there's bad stuff happening on the outside, right? He's like, hey, even though, even though you're getting whipped 39 times, something's, something's happened on the inside. Even though I'm experiencing all these shipwrecks and I'm hungry and I'm thirsty and I've been betrayed by people in my life, something's, as fast as I'm being drained, I'm being filled up. That's what he's saying. So he's describing it here. Now, that doesn't give you an answer yet. He's just describing this process. So how? How, Paul? What's your secret? What, what's your mindset? What do you have, Paul, that other people don't have? Well, look at his mindset in verse 17. This is a wild verse. For this light, momentary affliction <laughs> is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now, if I had read that verse to you first, you'd be like, okay, cool. Paul had some splinters in his day, you know, stub his toe, light momentary affliction. Yeah, that's okay, Paul, got you. But since I read you his fall down seven times resume first, 
Light momentary affliction is an interesting phrase, is it not, for Paul to be describing the things that he's experienced in his life? Beaten five times with whips, three times with sticks, once with stones, shipwrecked, abandoned, betrayed, hungry, thirsty, tired, light, momentary affliction. Huh. What, Paul? So I work out with my sons sometimes. My oldest son, he's 12, he's close to 13 now, works out with me. It's great. He's, he's better at it than me. Like, I don't, I don't want to work out some mornings, but since he's working out with me, I have to work out. Do you ever, you know, you're that thing where that happens? And I'll go up and like, he's dead asleep. Tap him. He just gets up immediately. No questions. Just gets up, walks downstairs. Five seconds after he was sleeping, he's like bench pressing and squat. I don't know how he does it. Blessings of being 12, I guess. It's great. He's awesome. Sometimes my six-year-old comes down too. Now, all he does, he, I can't let him do really anything. But we have like a 20-pound kettlebell and he'll like deadlift it. He just like does this like 50 times. He'll count and he counts out loud. And then when he's done, he'll go, hey, dad. And he'll run across the room and run back. And he goes, am I faster? <laughs> like, yeah, buddy. Keep it up. Keep it up. <laughs> but every once in a while, they will ask me a question. Um, hard question to answer. They'll ask me when I'm lifting, they'll go, hey, dad, is that heavy? And, and believe that's actually a hard, now as a man, yeah, right? <laughs> like, but, but really answering that question is actually kind of difficult, right? Because heavy is relative. Heavy is kind of a comparison term, isn't it? For someone to just call something heavy or something light, you're kind of inherently comparing it to something else, right? So if you ask me, is it heavy? Do you mean from me lifting today versus me lifting a year ago? Is that what you mean? Or do you mean like sometimes I do uh, lightweight with higher reps or higher weight with lower reps? Are you asking me that? Or are you asking me if it's heavy compared to what you're lifting? Because yes, son, it is, right? It's comparison. You have to compare. In order to call something heavy, you're, you're comparing it. Either you're explicitly comparing it or you're implicitly comparing it. So when Paul says light momentary affliction, he is comparing it to something, right? When he says light momentary about being beaten, shipwrecked, starving, and homeless, what in the world could you compare that to and call that light? Well, what does he say? Did you, did you see it? Absolutely amazing phrase. The eternal weight of glory. So when Paul's holding these things out, he's like, okay, beatings, shipwrecks, starving, betrayal, all the worst stuff, okay. Eternal weight of glory. This is light, this is light compared to that. And that's crazy, right? To say all that stuff is light is to say how heavy this is, right? So if he's comparing how, how, how light this is, he's got to be saying this way to glory. Oh my, oh my, eternity. And then did you notice he said momentary? Momentary, it wasn't just light, it was also momentary. He wasn't just talking about the weight of the thing, but it was the length of the thing. And I want to say, just if you took this list back to back to back to back, seems like that would last a bit of time, right? I don't think he got whipped and then the next day got whipped. I don't think he would have survived that. So like he had this happening like his entire Christian life. From the moment he becomes a Christian, Jesus gets a hold of him to the end. And he still says momentary. Momentary? It's like your whole life, Paul. He's like, yeah, but I'm comparing my entire life to eternity. 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 So this 
no matter how long it lasts, momentary, momentary. Which means, by the way, if we can take what Paul is saying here and actually apply it to our lives, no matter what you go through, unless you can beat Paul's list. And some of you, listen, I'm not saying some of you have some heavy stuff in your life. And maybe you don't have quite an extensive list, but maybe one of the things you've dealt with has been really deep and heavy to you. But it, no matter what it is, and no matter how long it lasts, you, you, could, you could fail for the rest of your life. You could experience pain for the rest of your life. And with your dying breath go, light, momentary. Because the next breath isn't in this body anymore. Now, he kind of explains the rest of this here in the next verse. It's like my favorite verse in the Bible. Um, verse 18. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So listen, listen. listen. For Paul, grit comes from a perspective. Did you catch that? He just said, hey, I don't see like other people see. This is, this is Solomon's answer. When Solomon said, hey, the person who has a relationship with God, they got something that the people who don't, uh, they don't have this. And Paul's telling us what it is right now. He's saying, hey, I see something. I see something. I have a perspective that somebody who doesn't have faith in God doesn't have. And Paul's telling us, this is the key. This is the secret. This is the thing. Paul experiences failure and pain on a level most of us won't come to, but he does not crack, he does not crumble, he does not fail, or he doesn't stay in failure. Because, listen, Paul knew that there was an end to failure. Paul knew that there was an end to failure. Listen, Paul knew that one day he was going to fail, he was going to get up, and then he was never going to fail again, ever. And that was something that he kept one eye on all the time. He knew that even though he was in continual failure, that one day that was going to end. Failure was going to end. And it kept him going. Because isn't, isn't that what kills us? Isn't, isn't that like, isn't that what makes you want to stay on the ground when you get knocked down? you start to believe that failure doesn't have an end, you might as well stay down because you're just going to be down here again later. You start to believe that you're just going to keep failing and failing and failing and failing. So eventually it, it takes it out of you and you quit. But Paul's like, oh, no, no, no. I know. I know that one day I'm going to fail, get back up, and I'm never going to fall again. And that fills me up. I read this quote this week from a guy named Timothy Keller, a great pastor and theologian. He actually died recently makes this more meaningful he says this humans are hope shaped creatures hope shaped creatures what you believe about the future shapes how you live now what you believe about the future shapes how you live now I love that idea you're hope shaped you're, you're, you're the shape of your hope and how you're living right now is, is dictated whether you realize it or not by what you believe about the future. That, that makes you a lot of who you are based on your belief about the future. 
So this is why Solomon says a God follower has an advantage over someone who doesn't because our hope, our hope, Christians, is beyond failure. Do you understand that? Our hope is beyond failure. We believe failure has an end, that failure isn't permanent, that one day you will rise and never fall again, that you're going to fall down and it's going to be the last time you ever fall and there's actually going to be a last time and then you're up. You never have to hit the ground again. Failure couldn't reach Paul's hope because his, his hope was stored where failure couldn't reach. The whip could not lash Paul's hope. It couldn't do it. The stick could not bruise Paul's hope. Stones couldn't break Paul's hope. A shipwreck could not sink Paul's hope. Hunger could not starve his hope. Betrayal could not stab his hope in the back. And cold could not give his hope hypothermia. It was somewhere Paul put it somewhere where failure couldn't reach. Early Christians had it too. Have you ever read the stories of the early Christians? getting attacked by lions and singing hymns while it's happening, that's because they had a hope where a lion couldn't get to. Burning alive, singing to Jesus, that's because they had a hope where fire couldn't burn. Getting their heads chopped off, humming a hymn, because the guillotine couldn't cut where their hope was stored. They had something, they had something beyond this world. And it, it, it did that thing that Paul said, hey, somehow there's a renewal on the inside, even though everything's terrible on the outside, there's something happening on the inside, because they had eyes on something that other people couldn't see. What you believe about the future shapes how you live in the present. Christian, Christian. If you don't have hope in your life right now, it's because you're not looking far enough out. If you think you're gonna be stuck in failure forever, it's because you're not looking far enough out. We believe failure has an end. That makes us different. That makes us different. So listen. I don't know if you know this, but like there's a distinctive of Christianity that's kind of been around for 2,000 years. And I just kind of want to call it everybody who's ever followed Jesus kind of has a little bit of an ache in their chest, a longing. And I know a lot of times we talk about Christianity as being like fulfilling. And I want to say on, in, on this earth, Christianity and having a relationship with God is the most fulfilling thing you can have. But even if you have a relationship with Jesus on this planet, there's still something you long for. So you've heard of, um, heard of homesickness before, right? You've, you long for home, right? I'm discovering as I get older, uh, homesickness comes quicker. I don't know if anybody ever experienced like the hotel bed just is not comfortable at all. I want to be like immediately just wanting to come back home. Um, but we've all experienced it, right? When you're away from home, you have this longing for home. And it's deeper than just like, hey, I want to sleep in my own bed. Usually home means a place where you're accepted, a place where you can be you, a place where you're loved, a place where you're wanted, right? That's what it means. It's not the physical location. It's that, that sense of well-being you get when you're in the, that place where you're loved and accepted. Homesick. Did you know there's another term? Uh, the Germans have it. It's Fernwe, something like that. And, and basically you could translate it far sickness. And, and it's, it's this desire uh, to travel, a desire to... Uh, really be somewhere you've never been. All Northeast Ohioans get this in February. I don't know if you know that. We all get far sick, far sick. We want to be somewhere else. Homesick, far sick. Homesick, far sick. We've all experienced both of these in our lives. Even if you're like a homebody, you've always had this like, ah, oh, I'll go there. 
And if you're away, even if you love to travel, there's always a little bit of a pull home. We've all experienced this, some, some of us powerfully. And on the surface, those two things look like opposites, right? Homesick, farsick, homesick, farsick. You're, you're wanting opposite things, but are they? Are they opposites? They both have a longing in them. And they both are longing for a place that you aren't currently, right? Somewhere else. But what if their similarity is even deeper than that? What if both of these are actually the same thing? That you're longing for a home that you've never been. A place you belong, but you've never seen it. That what if the reason you're longing, Christian, is because you long to be in the unfiltered presence of your creator, and that is both home and a place you've never been. And both of those desires are found in the presence of Almighty God. And that actually is the real thing that you long for. It's not really a vacation. It's not really to come home. It's really, man, you just want to be with God. And you want to be free of this, free of this world. Now, the Bible says that we can't imagine heaven. Like, it's just that crazy that whatever God has planned for us after this world is like too much for us to even begin to describe. So even if you've read people who allegedly can describe it, they're lying because the Bible says you can't and they're doing exact opposite of what the Bible says. It's too, it's too much. But in the book of Revelation, we get a glimpse, a glimpse. It's like a, you open your eyes for a minute and then you had to close them. Uh, John wrote this and I want to read this to you and tell me this isn't the thing that your heart aches for. Revelation 21, starting in verse one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. There's gonna be a new heaven. The, the one that's currently isn't even good enough. He's gonna make another one. For the old he heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And here's where it gets good. Verse three. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them, with them. Verse four, he will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things will be gone forever. And then verse five, listen, this is God. <laughs> and then the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. Look, he's like one, he's like inviting you into this. Look, look what I'm doing. I'm getting rid of all the pain. I'm getting rid of failure forever. All of it, failure and all its consequences. I'm getting rid of it forever. Look, he's inviting you into this. Lean in. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I freely give from the springs of the water of life. And all who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. I will be their God and they will be my children. This is what you are homesick for. This is what you are far sick for. This is that longing in your chest. Your heart misses a place it's never been. It misses a place it's never been. And for some of us in this room, the problem is that you're searching for something that you're never going to find on this earth. 
You're, 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 you're chasing something that you're not going to find here. Your longing goes past earth. Your hope doesn't live here. It's found in God. I thought this was fitting because last week we talked about the beginning of failure, right? The book of Genesis, failure is introduced to the human race. <laughs> it's a little bit depressing, especially since I have the same name as the guy who did it, right? Like that's just weird and I don't like it. But I thought it was good symmetry for us to say, hey, that was the beginning of failure and Revelation shows us the end of failure. And Christian, that's supposed to be the difference for you. The reason you can fail and get up and fail and get up and fail and get up is because you know that one day you're gonna fail and you're gonna get up and you're never going to fail again. There's something about that that's supposed to fill you up, that you're going to see an end to failure. And that's supposed to give you a grit. You're supposed to have a hope that cannot be touched here. No matter how many times life punches you in the face, no matter how many times you fail, no matter how many times you make a mistake, no matter how many times you're betrayed or hurt or broken, you know that one day all that's gonna end. <laughs> that the king's gonna get off his throne, he's gonna take the corner of his robe and he's gonna wipe your eyes off for the last time. You have cried your last tear and experienced your last heartache. It'll be over. And for us now, that is supposed to be the thing that keeps us going. Pray with me. Lord, I pray for the person in this room right now who's tired, tired of failing, tired of hurting, tired of getting back up. Lord, I pray that they would be able to grab a hold of this hope, grab a hold of this hope that is beyond this world. The same hope Paul had, the same hope the early Christians had, the hope that just kept filling them up, filling them up as fast as they were drained. Lord, I pray that you would fill us up. I pray that we would be a people of hope. Lord, I pray that we would we would look one minute past the end of our life and remember that we're gonna fall down for a last time and we're gonna get up and we're never gonna fall again. I pray for the person who maybe doesn't know you yet in this room, Lord. And when I was talking about longing, they recognize that because they have it. They have a longing for a place they've never been. They have a longing for a home they've never been to, Lord. I pray that they would recognize it as you right now. I pray that they would come to you right now. I pray that they would give their life to you right now, Lord, that they'd ask you for forgiveness right now for their life. And enter into your presence here and lean into that longing for a place we've not been to yet. Lord, I pray for this church that we would be a place of hope. I pray that we would have one eye on heaven all the time, Lord, that we would fix our eyes on the things that are not seen that would enable us to endure the things we can. In Jesus' name I pray.